Welcome to another episode of Death and Taxes. My name is Brandon Ayers and I am your host. I'm an attorney uh, at Vanek, Larson & Kolb. I also own a business called Ayers Rock Planning uh, where I help people reduce risk in their lives, whether that's with their estate or tax plan or uh, by offloading risk of loss of income, risk of an untimely death, uh, risk of paying too much tax in the future to an insurance company. That's what I do. But I am none of those things for you. I'm not your attorney. I am not your insurance person. I'm not your employee either. Uh, I don't know you. How could I be those things? This podcast is for entertainment purposes. I hope you leave informed. Um, But if you want specific advice, you can reach me or you can reach your own person. You can always find me. I'm on Twitter at Ayers Rock Plans. I'm on TikTok at Ayers Rock Planning. YouTube, Ayers Rock Planning. Instagram, Ayers Rock Planning. My website, airsrockplanning.com, or you can talk to your own trusted person. That'd be fine too. Today is the next episode in the income tax boot camp. I've forgotten how many we've done at this point, to be honest, Uh, but I have an interesting direction I wanted to take uh, this podcast today. We spent the first few episodes just talking about the basics of income tax rates, income tax brackets, some passing comments about how the wealthy you know, avoid tax and, and what, um, if you look on the YouTube channel, we've walked through what a tax form looks like. Uh, but today I want to just, I want to kind of get into some detail on how the wealthy avoid income tax. So I'm excited to talk to you about that today. And the, the general rule, if you want to look at it that way, is you avoid income tax by not having income. I've mentioned that before, uh, but uh, how that's achieved is different depending on the uh, person. So um, someone without income, for example, doesn't pay any income tax and maybe they struggle finding a place to live. And then on the other extreme, somebody who you would assume would have a ton of income uh, from their lifestyle might not have actually what IRS calls income. Uh, they might do some other things. That's what we're going to get into is on that second side. How do they avoid having what the IRS terms as income? And there's really three main buckets of this. One, loans. Uh, second is tax-free interest or dividends from various things. And the third is by maximizing deductions they take against income, uh, particularly through owning business entities, particularly real estate business entities. So let's get into it. And I want to start with that last one, the maximizing your deductions. So deductions, as we talked about, lower the amount of income that is taxed. It takes your gross income and deducts from that, whatever the deduction might be. So it lowers the amount of tax you pay by lowering the amount of income that is taxed. doesn't make too much of a math genius to figure out that if you pay less tax at a 22% rate on $50 than you would at a 22% rate at $100. Uh, Without doing the math, I think they're probably about half the tax you'd probably pay. So through business ownership, particularly in real estate, you really can get the full force of the tax code behind you. The analogy I always think of when it comes to this is flying with a tailwind versus in to the wind. You know, when you're flying with the jet stream behind you, let's say from Seattle to New York City, that flight is going to be pretty significantly shorter than the flight from New York City to Seattle when you're flying against the wind. Mere mortal employees without business entities, when it comes to the tax code, they're taking that westbound flight from New York City to Seattle. They don't have a lot of things in their favor. In fact, the tax code really hits them hard, frankly. But business owners, particularly business owners in real estate enterprises, have that tailwind behind them. So they can get wealthy much quicker. They can get from A to B 
much quicker because they have a lot more uh, useful items that are the tax code that they can use without really much controversy. So you can categorize expenses properly when you have that. You can work with CPAs or other tax professionals um, who get paid to lower tax bills of people like you so they know what they're doing as opposed to just filling in boxes for a mere mortal employee based off of W-2 income and then asking if they've done any charitable contributions. Uh, you can have multiple entities for the right kind of thing you're doing, whether that's uh, income-producing uh, business or more of a holding type of company. The example I always go to here is, uh, you know, when we think of wealthy, you know, you think of a certain lifestyle, but farmers are generally wealthy, not in the lifestyle way. They, they work hard and uh, often will live a pretty uh, meager lifestyle, but they have a lot of wealth in two things. One is land, another is equipment, kind of like maybe some of our moms might have been wealthy when it comes to beanie babies. Farmers are wealthy when it comes to land and equipment. And what a common strategy for farm families is you put the land in one entity and the equipment in the other, and you have some sort of lease agreement for the company that owns the land to lease equipment from uh, the second company. And then you have a business expense for that company that's getting all the crops, right? So you can take advantage of huge deduction, huge cost of leasing all that equipment. Um, and that's that's a pretty common strategy. There's a lot of corporate structures where there's one entity that holds employees and they they lease those employees as in effect from uh, that company to work at the larger company or the warehouse or whatever it might be. So that's a strategy you use through entity selection. You can really, uh, particularly if you're involved in real estate type business, you can really get the tax code behind you. Second is from uh, tax-free interest and dividends, uh, municipal bond interest. Um, so the tax code wants to incentivize people to invest in their communities. So if you invest in your community when they offer municipal bonds, the frosting on the cake they give you, the return on the municipal bonds is generally tax-free. But when I say generally, it's because I'm thinking of social security taxation, something we've covered in this income tax boot camp. Um, tax-free uh, does not apply to social security and their calculation of income. It includes otherwise tax-free municipal bond interest. And the other area, the other bucket that you can get some tax-free interest or dividends is in the cash value of your whole life insurance policy from a mutual company. That's a lot of words. Uh, you know, cash value, whole life insurance is a, is a policy that covers somebody's life as long as premiums are paid, no matter how long they live. Uh, and the cash value in that policy is somebody's to use for their own stuff. And since they are a whole life policy holder in a mutual company, they generally participate in a company's profitability. You can think of them like shareholders. Mutual insurance companies are not stock insurance companies. They don't have you know, uh, a listing on, I don't know, S&P 500 or NASDAQ or Dow or whatever it is, um, New York Stock Exchange. So because they're a mutual company, they, their profit sharing essentially goes to their whole life insurance policy holders that have a participating policy. And so you can get increases in cash value dividends that are tax-free because of how the tax code treats whole life insurance or life insurance in general. That's something the wealthy use pretty often. But now I want to get to the loans because loans, it sounds ridiculous. Oh, just take out loans for your income and you'll not pay income tax. But you know, let's hang in with me there for a second. Let's think of your mortgage. When you bought your house and took out a mortgage, let's say it was a $300,000 mortgage. You didn't have to declare $300,000 of income that year, right? So conceptually, we can all wrap our brains around that loans 
do not count as income. I think that's a good starting point. What's harder to wrap your brains about is how can that be a good thing to, to base off of? So for most people, it's not available to them, but for the wealthy, it is. And that's what we're talking about, how the wealthy avoid income tax. A lot of times they get loans on their stock holdings. Think of a uh, high level executive at some of the biggest companies you can think of these days. A lot of their compensation is in stock and stock options, right? Uh, of the company. So uh, most of their, some of their wealth legitimately is all tied up in stock. And if they wanted to liquidate that to spend, they might have, well, first of all, they might have restrictions on liquidating it. They're, they would probably pay some capital gains. Uh, or have have a tax burden in order to turn that into a lifestyle access of income. So what these executives can do with these huge um, holdings, they can approach a bank that they have a friendly relationship with uh, and get a loan secured against those stocks to live a lifestyle off. Sometimes they have very friendly payment terms and interest rates, but even interest rate wise, if you think, take the market interest rate right now, let's just call it 4% to round up in a nice even number. 4% interest, 4% is less than 22% tax rate, for example. Now, you got to be careful, of course. You don't. It's on the principal and it, and it rolls and compounds. It can get really out of hand. But um, it's a way for the really wealthy who don't necessarily have a threat of default. They have enough wealth in other places that even if they lost uh, certain sources of liquid cash, they could service that loan or they frankly have a good enough relationship with a bank that they can trust that that loan won't be called due and make them bankrupt. That's how that's how it's done. In real estate, you can think of real estate owners using lines of credit against the equity in that real estate for cash flow, for liquidity. This is how real estate companies control their access to cash for cash flow reasons, either for buying future real estate, covering overhead or expenses. They, they sometimes will use lines of credit with favorable interest rates and use that to pay their employees or pay contractors. And the final thing you can think of, you can borrow from cash value of low life insurance and pay your future dead self back an amount that you wish. Uh, there are typically interest rates, again, associated with borrowing from your cash value life insurance policy, but it's generally a favorable thing when it comes to comparison with income tax rates. So again, these are not things you'd use just willy nilly. You'd have a tax professional come up with a plan, but you can see how the really wealthy between these three buckets, between lowering their taxable income through strategic business ownership, creating a, a steady stream of low-performing but tax-free municipal bond interest, and then having cash value whole life insurance policy to either uh, grow money tax-free or to borrow from as a loan tax-free, and then they can leverage their stock options uh, or real estate equity uh, for access to liquid cash when they need it. That's the plan. That's how the wealthy do it. None of those things count as income. One reduces the income. One and the other ones just don't count as income. Um, so those are the strategies you have to aim to use. You know, and you don't just stumble into these, and you don't just aren't able to access these just when you get your first paycheck. You need a certain amount of wealth in order to utilize these things. But you can start building a the va cash value of a whole life insurance policy without being very wealthy. Uh, you can. Um, invest in municipal bonds to get some sort of tax-free income stream going. Uh, and you can start to think about what you do uh, for work, what you do as hobbies, how those can be categorized as businesses so you can get entities set up so you can maximize the deductions that you have. 
Now, will you ever have the same stock holdings that some of these highly level executives use to leverage? Uh, maybe not. That, that might be a bridge too far, but it's out there. It's something to aim for. You can aim for it. If nothing else, you just have a whole, whole heck of a lot of stock. Um, so set your goals, run your numbers, consult with people you trust, and start moving in that direction. Because that's how the wealthy do it. That's If you can get to this point, this is when it really, the compounding in your favor really happens when you avoid income tax. And in fact, the companion YouTube video over at Ayers Rock Planning on YouTube uh, goes over just how devastating recurring taxes on investments are. And uh, I go through that. It's a little easier to go through visually with, with charts and graphs. Um, but if you, so if you want, again, if you want the full immersion of this income tax bootcamp, not only listen to this podcast, but also jump over to YouTube and follow me there. Um, give me a subscribe over there too. Give me a five-star review here. If you want to find me other places, again, I'm on Twitter, Airs Rock Plans, uh, Instagram, Airs Rock Planning, TikTok, Airs Rock Planning. That's it for this episode. Nice and short and sweet. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. Treat each other nicely. See you next week. Adios.